Good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to be with you. We're continuing in our series called Never. Last week we looked at, with Jesus, you never have to give in to temptation. This week we're going to be talking about that with Jesus, you never have to go back. That's the whole picture of repentance. I know repentance doesn't get uh, a lot of good press in our world today, but it's actually what I want you to look at repentance as is a gift from God. A gift from God, actually part of his grace to our lives. Some of you have never thought of it that way. You see guilt and you see shame, but you've not found the gift of repentance. So whether you just started believing and following Jesus, or whether you've been following Jesus for years, we're all called to never go back. Never go back to those sins, those behaviors, those destructive patterns in our lives. And it's really what people are called to when they were called to follow Jesus, that they would believe and repent. What does repentance mean? Well, in the book of Acts, we get several illustrations of what repentance looks like. In Acts chapter 2, right after the resurrection, actually about 50 days after the resurrection on Pentecost, uh, Peter preaches to the Jewish audience in Jerusalem. And he says when he preaches about Jesus that they, he was killed by the acts of lawless men. That But God raised him up in verse 24. And he said, we're witnesses in chapter 32 of this event. But he says this. They, they said, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here, repentance is kind of listed as repenting or turning your way from your way to follow God and to believe in his work for you. Repentance also is associated with baptism. It's a, a baptism when we baptize someone over there after our, our each service. There's the picture that they have been washed clean by the person and the work of Jesus. We dunk them under and we don't keep them there long, but we bring them up. And it celebrates that they were once dead in their sins, but now are alive to God through Jesus Christ. Repentance is a changing of your way, of a way. But it's a reminder that through repentance, we, God is for us. God is with us. And God through his spirit, as, as Peter says, is in us. Peter and John are at the temple in Acts chapter 3. And at verse 14, again, a very bold call to repentance. He says, you denied the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life, but God raised from the dead. We're witnesses to that. Look what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. Repentance here is shown as turning back. You were headed in a wrong direction and you turned around. Repentance here is that the response of God when we repent is the forgiveness of sin. Our sins are blotted out when we repent. But it's not just a forgiveness of sins. It's also, it says, a refreshing, a refreshing new life is given when we repent. Faith and repentance are linked together in that passage. And then Acts chapter 5, Peter is answering, he's arrested and appears before the chief priests and the council in Jerusalem. 
He preaches again. And again, a very bold statement. He says, so specifically, he says, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. Speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus. But look what he says God did in verse 31. It says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Again, it's a gift from God to us to forgive our sins and to set us free. But it wasn't just Peter who preached this. Paul preached this, and one of the the greatest enemies of the faith who killed Christians had a conversion on his route to Damascus and becomes the great preacher of the gospel, advances the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here he is in Athens, and he's preaching at the Areopagus, which literally had a, a little altar for all the gods of the Greek world. And even one that said to the unknown God, just in case they forgot one or left one out. And Paul says, I see, I see that you even worship the unknown God. And then he preaches about who Jesus is. And he says that being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. That's been our problem all along. We've crafted God into who we want him to be. Our theology instead of God's word says has usually been, I'd like to think that God is. And we've denied the word of God and the glory of God in our lives. But he says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that repentance again. So what is, if we were just to make one statement about what biblical repentance is, here it is. Repentance is a turning away from sins by trusting in God. Repentance is a turning away, but it's also turning to. It's a trusting in God. Belief here, then, belief in God, a belief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is also going to influence, and it's going to be very logical and, and very reasonable that would also affect our behavior. It's not just stopping sinning. It's also starting to follow Jesus. So if you repent from lying, then you're, you're asking God to help you stop lying, but also start telling the truth. If you're repenting from gossiping about someone or talking behind their back or ridiculing them, you, then, then you stop from that so that you might start encouraging them and building them up. If you've been living selfishly and just for yourself, for the pleasure, the glorification of yourself, repenting from that would mean that you would start then to live as a servant, that you would start to live as someone who would want to promote someone being Jesus greater than yourself. It's turning away by trusting in God. Repentance paired with belief leads to a committed follower of Jesus who never has to go back. To who they were before Christ. Paul kind of summarizes this in, in Romans chapter 6. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, let sin not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God who, as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Look at this last verse. 
Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but grace. Here, the law of of the Old Testament scriptures points out the holiness of God, but it also points out the sinfulness of man. And so the law kind of interprets this is what sin is. It identifies it, but it identifies it as lethal, as deadly. And it judged sin. It it said that a, a costly sacrifice must be made for sin. And it gave the solution. The sacrifice of an animal where their blood would cover the sin of the person. This process was unending. When you sinned, you had to provide a sacrifice. You sinned again, you had to provide a sacrifice. It was constantly a temporary covering until Jesus came. And Jesus did something that he fulfilled the law. He lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law in himself. He lived a life you and I can't live. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross to pay a price, something we couldn't pay for, so that his death on the cross completely satisfied the righteous requirement of God for a perfect sacrifice. He, he is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death in our lives and to call us to a new life in him so that sin would no longer dominate you, but you would be under grace. That's the whole picture. You don't have sin reigning in your life anymore because you have a new king. You no longer have to serve sin and death. You have a life of liberation from sin. And that's the call. That's the call. We're called to repent that our sins may be forgiven And a time of refreshing would come. Let me just run through some bullet points of what repentance really is. More more than yourself, repentance is about God. Why is it more about God? Because ultimately sin defames the glory of God. When you sin, certainly there might be an issue where your life is affected by it. Or the life of people around you are affected by it. The reality is ultimately sin is an offense to God. We've got to realize that through sin, when we defame his glory, when we, when we distort the gospel through our lives, when we live in disobedience, when we come back, we restore him to his rightful place. It's about restoring our relationship with God. More than tears, repentance is about turning. Now, I'm a pastor, so I see people confessing sin a lot. I sometimes am involved in confronting people with sin. I don't wake up in the morning and say, goody, I get to confront someone with sin. But the reality is, is I started to see that when someone's caught in sin, a very natural response can be guilt and shame, sometimes humiliation, and some of us break down and cry. But just because we cry, just because he shed a tear, doesn't mean that we're literally repenting from that sin or turning from that sin to follow Christ. I've been in multiple situations where men were caught cheating on their wives. And their wives and their husband are in the wife and husband are in my office. And and he breaks down and cries because he's caught and he's humiliated and he realizes the reality of hurt in her life and the family's life. But when I say, are you willing to turn from that? Are you willing to end that adulterous relationship that's destroying you and your family? Are you willing to do that? Nope, I'm not. I just can't do it right now. That's not repentance. We can cry, but, but real repentance is a turning from that to trusting in God's new direction for you. 
Hey, are you willing to, to turn in your phone? And at any time, if your wife questions what you're doing on your phone, are you okay to do that? Because a repentance from porn would mean that you would turn from porn to follow Christ. And you would open up your life so it wouldn't be a secret sin anymore. It would be open access. Oh, no way. No one has the right to do that. Well, if Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life, there should be no, no problem with that. You'd want to go his way. So repentance, repentance is a turning to God. More than admitting sin, repentance is accepting, accepting. You know, we can all claim, oh, I messed up. Okay, I've got a weakness. Oh, I don't want to be like that. But, but we can admit that. We are quick to say we're sorry, but we're slow to accept a new direction in our lives. I raised three boys, and one of the key things is we always kept short accounts. And when I go, hey, guys, don't do that, I'd point to, you know, let's not do that. And they go, so sorry, and they would just move on. Sorry, real quick. We're quick to say we're sorry. We don't really understand what we're doing or why we did it. Remember that lady in the Walmart parking lot? I was taking a call. I was sitting in my car. She opened up her door and went, bam, right into my car. Okay, so my heart rate goes up. I pull back and I'm giving her the look. Did you realize what you just done? Kind of look without saying a word. And she goes, sorry, and shuts the door and goes into Walmart. I was like, no, sorry's not enough. You need to accept the responsibility for it. I didn't say that because I'm a pastor. I didn't think we could do that in public. (laughs) But I've realized over the course of the years, I've used her as an illustration enough. I'm getting my revenge, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's that demented form in me that wants to get even. Maybe I need to repent and start accepting a new direction of grace and forgiveness in my life. More than a decision, though, repentance is daily. It's a gift from God whereby we see him for who he is and we're called to adjust our mind, adjust our lives around his greatness, his glory who he is in our lives. It's a gift to us. And some of us said, yeah, I repented from my sin when I came to Christ, but I don't feel I need to do that. No, you need to adjust. There's a lot of adjustment that needs to take place in my life every day. I, uh, I flew on an airplane this week and I was so thankful sometimes, you know, when we were hitting some turbulence that, that there were computers that could stabilize the plane. Sometimes making, making a hundred adjustments per second as you're flying at 600 miles per hour above the earth. I'm thankful that there's a little bit of repentance in that, you know, adjusting, recalibrating, changing its way to adjust to the reality around you. You make repentance moves in your car to keep it on the road due to wind or due to the change of that road. You make changes there. Some of us need to turn the car around when we're going in the wrong direction. I don't like to hear that. I don't like to say, honey, do you know we know where we're going? I, I hate that question. But when we're lost and headed in the wrong direction, repentance restores us back. And everyone in the car benefits from me turning that car around. (laughs) Yeah, repentance is daily. Why would we ever neglect repentance in our lives? More than repenting from sins, we also need to repent from a condition. The condition of... This is like one of my seminary professors used to say. He said, gentlemen, we need to move beyond the fruit to see the root of our sin." In other words, when we conf- 
when we confess to a struggle with tearing someone down, it's really good to go to the root of that. What is that? Well, you've been hurt. That person missed an expectation of you, yours. You've been wounded. You need to be able to forgive that person. Until you forgive them, you'll always be tempted. There'll always be that vulnerability for you to jump right back into tearing them down. Those of you who work in the mental health profession know that when someone says, I'll just stop taking that drug. I'll just stop with that next drink. You go, well, wait a minute. That's why we do counseling here. Till we get down to the root of the condition. Repentance is open to looking at the root of our problem. And a wise person repents. A wise person looks at their lives and sees the reality of their condition and seeks God's help to turn them in a new direction. Finally, more than guilt producing, repentance is a gift from God. Many people with the word repentance, and I don't know, I grew up in the church, I grew up in a Baptist church, which means we'd have those, you know, out of town speakers who would come in and repent was a two syllable word, just repent. And we would all, you know, when anyone would use that word, everyone's heart rate would go up. And of course, when fingers were pointed and everything, I mean, but, but it's a gift. It's a gift. From God, And so when we stay rooted to the scriptures and we really see the heart of God for repentance, we realize it's God's invitation for us to redirect our lives back to him. It's God's call that forgiveness will be given when we repent. And if we just stand at that guilt and shame angle and we don't realize the promise of God that when we repent, when we turn that direction, we receive forgiveness of sins. We receive a pardon. We're restored back to God. Then we realize, thank you, God, for repentance. Thank you for eyes to see the sin in my life. Thank you for for a mind to comprehend your direction for my life. Thank you for a will that's willing to, to turn back to you. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. I mentioned that I was on a plane this week because I went to Dallas. And they're doing a whole bunch of different building in downtown Dallas. And I was in one building looking across and I saw another building up on about the 30th floor of this new high-rise apartment. There's this construction worker and he's out on the deck and he's installing a railing on the deck. And I look and he's got this safety harness on and, and a, a, a bungee cord attached to a safety line. And this bungee cord, he's moving it all around and it doesn't look like a great fashion statement. And it's in his way for most of his day, but he still wears it. Why does he wear it? Because when he slips, when he falls, he's going to do this. He's going to do this. And he's going to grab onto it and he's going to swing back. Instead of falling to his death from 30 floors, he's going to go, thank you for the safety harness. He has a whole new appreciation for it. That's repentance in our lives. When we slip and we fall, we go, our, our immediate reaction needs to be, God, thank you for the gift to see my sin and to come back. That's how we need to view it. We need to view repentance as this gift. And so what I want to kind of move to now and spend the rest of my time talking about is how to live your life with the gift of repentance. Until we see it as a gift, we'll despise it. We'll be caught in just guilt and shame. By the way, can I just say this? Guilt and shame are two of the most common emotions in our culture right now. We feel guilty. We feel shamed, especially when we mess up, but we don't know what to do with it. 
Our culture has just untethered themselves from a God and, and, a, and an absolute morality. And so we've kind of gone our own way. We feel shameful. We feel guilty. But we don't know what to do about it. Praise God. We've, we've got eyes to see that there's a God who takes compassion and puts a pardon on us and forgives our sins when we repent. It's a gift. How do we live? Well, let's take a look real quick at a passage. It's Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. The heart of Israel and in the Old Testament here was far from God. They had no desire to repent of their sins. And so this is the heart of God for hardened people. This is the heart of God for you and me with repentance. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. First thing we're to do to live the gift of repentance is seek the Lord. When you mess up, when you slip, when you fall, seek the Lord. I know it's easy for you just to have shame with yourself. But God says, no, 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 no. You're mine. You're my child. And if you've had faith in Christ, you're his. Seek him. Seek him. Look to him. Look what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Peter developed this even further. He says, don't you know that the patience of God would lead you to repentance? It's the whole picture. God is patient. He's near right now. God is close. Even though sin makes us feel like he's far away, repentance draws us back. When we fall, when we slip, when we sin, it's good to go, Lord, I want to know you. I want to understand you. Lord, teach me in your word. Seek him in his word. God, teach me who you are. Show me who I am with you. Lord, show me what I need to do in this situation. How do I love? How do I follow you? It will require you humbling yourself to seek him. But what do you do when you seek him? You make room for him in your life. When you turn from your way and turn from your will to seek his way in his will. Wow, that is That's a mark of repentance in your lives. Secondly, abandon sin. This is a radical change in your view of sin. And it's mentioned here in verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We need to see, I love that word forsake. We don't usually use it in our vocabulary vocabulary too well, but it, it literally means abandon it. Get away from it. Step away. Don't try to fix its engine. Don't try to repaint it. Don't try to resuscitate it. Let it die. Walk away. We need to see sin much like our world sees the Ebola virus. I mean, look at this. This is just one strain here of the Ebola virus. It's totally radically changed our our world. In this past year in East Africa, there's been over 1,600 cases of the Ebola virus. I have a friend who's a pastor in Cameroon, deeply, profoundly affected. He stayed in his house, quarantined for four months, and he didn't even have it. They just quarantined, stopped all travel to East African countries because of an Ebola virus. It was extremely deadly, and it was contagious. 
They haven't had church in six months because of this virus. And all of a sudden, when one case comes to the United States and goes to the CDC in Atlanta and is quarantined there, remember all the news channels? Whoa, I mean, why would we do this? How is it protected? Couldn't this spread in our country? And everyone's running in fear. And then there's a case in Dallas, where I was this past week. The whole city was nervous. There were people from outside of Dallas that didn't want to fly through Dallas. There's six million people in Dallas and Fort Worth area. But no one wanted to go to Dallas anymore because of one person who had the Ebola virus. Folks, we quarantine everything because we'd rather save our lives and sometimes address the sin in our lives. We need to see it like a virus that's deadly. Secondly, we need to see it and abandon it like we would a mine. Uh, you know, a mine that was once used and had value and sought out things of treasure, but now there's nothing else. It's worthless. And so what do we do? We keep, we put up signs around them so people don't fall into them. I like that. Stay out. Stay alive. And then the little, if you can read the fine print, if you have bionic eyes, you know, damaging, shooting, or removing this sign is a felony. Because whenever I see a sign and I have a shotgun, I want to shoot at the sign. I don't know why. I don't know why. Sometimes we do that. As soon as someone says, don't do this, we go, ha ha. Thanks for the invitation. I'd like to do that now. But the reality is it's not just don't fall into this pit. Don't fall into this mine. He said, no, you've got something better to pursue. God is a better adventure than, you know, exploring something that's worthless. We've got to see sin as something we abandoned. The Christian life needs to be things on the side of our lives that are, yep, that used to be me. And I had to make a decision that I would abandon that and walk away. That used to be in my life. But man, I just realized God couldn't do anything with my life as long as that was there. Wow, I couldn't be the man, the husband, the father who God really wants me to be with that in my life. I just couldn't do it. And so our lives have stories of things that we've abandoned. Because God has a better plan for us. They're worth abandoning. And we do that willingly in a lot of areas. Why don't we do that with sin? I mean, we don't make vows to our, our husbands and our wives at a wedding and go, and I'd like to include five other people with this commitment right now. We don't do that. We, it's laughable. I see some of you laughing at that. Just that idea. We forsake all others. We abandon all other relationships of intimacy to commit to one. And God's calling us to that with him. We've got to abandon sin. And when we do that, what do we find? By the way, it's good to tell God you're turning away. It's good to say, God, I am turning away from this to trust you. I don't know what trusting you is going to look right now. Kind of scared about it. This has been pretty, been pretty dependent on this. But I turn away from this to trust in you. You want to do something even more powerful? Tell a friend. Hey, I'm turning away from that. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me as I turn away from that? That's why the wisdom of James really comes out. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. There's healing When we abandon it, we call it. And when we do that, what do we receive? Look what that passage says. We receive his grace. Look at verse 7 again. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the heart of God for repentance, compassion and pardon. How do we get his compassion? We call it what he calls it and we turn from it. That's where we really get to see grace. And you know, the more you repent, the more grace should grow in your life. And that's why when I repent, I always go, God, I receive your forgiveness through Jesus. Thank you for eyes to see my brokenness, my sin. Thank you for a mind that's willing to come back to you. Thank you for the courage to follow you. Move me. Please move me from guilt into your grace. Ask God to give you more grace. He loves to give grace to his children. If you had the capacity to give more grace to your children, you would love it for them to come up to you and say, Hey, Dad, I need more grace. I need more patience with this in my own life. I want to have more grace. God loves to give grace to those who ask. And he's proud of you when you ask. So when you... When you seek the Lord, when you abandon sin and when you receive grace, then here, here's the last one. Align all of your life around his greatness. All of your life around his greatness. Sin, sin starts to diminish God's greatness in your life. Sin takes his glory and and, and basically defames it in your life. And it makes you blind to the greatness of God. So when you receive his grace, just make him greater. Make him greater. I love what it says in verse 9 of Isaiah 55. It says this, For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, when I'm caught in a sin, when, when I'm distracted by a sin, it's really interesting. I tend to see God on my level. And I tend to go, what better plan do you have for me than I have for myself? And God says, no, way higher, way better, far greater than you could ever design, than you could ever pursue, which direction you could ever walk. We've got to realize God is the greatest thing in my life. And when we repent, we, we, we restore him to his rightful place. See, sin and the one who tempts you is out to destroy three things. He's out to defame God's glory, distort God's gospel, and destroy you. Tempting you with, uh, uh, with sin or accusing you when you fall. You need some weapons in your war. God's given you the gift of repentance. You must see sin for what it is. It's a war on the glory of God in your life. And be willing to turn that. Some it's a small turn like, oh, I don't want to go there, so I won't. Others of it's a major life change. We're about transform lives at Fellowship Bible Church because God is. And repentance is the gift God gives us for that transformed life. We need to know, like John 4, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So in the midst of the battle, church, never go back. You don't have to. Why? Because you have Jesus. You have Jesus. Sin no longer needs to dominate you. You have the gift of repentance. Abandon it. Receive God's grace. And align all of your life around the greatness of God. Would you just bow with me as we all, we each, respond to the truth of God's word right now? We've seen in God's word 
that we all, in times where we have fallen, in sin in our lives, we need to seek the Lord. Is there a sin right now that the Holy Spirit just calls to your mind? Something that's up in your mind right now that God reminds you of. Seek Him. Say, God, I need a new direction here. I need a different way. I need your way. Secondly, pray for courage to abandon that sin. Lord, help me to see it. Ask him, Lord, help me to see it as the way you see it, as a virus, as an abandoned mind. The digging in it is just, it's worthless. It's senseless for me to do this. Do you sense the destruction of your sin? If you do, run away from it. Run far from it. Make a decision today. I will abandon that. Tell God that right now. And as you have abandoned that, receive God's grace. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Receive God's compassion. He is for you. He's provided everything you need through Jesus to come back to him. Receive his grace. Say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your pardon. And now... Align your life around God's greatness. Just say, God, I've, I need a greater picture of who you are. I need a greater plan. I need a greater direction. And I'm willing to trust you. Would you give me the right thing to do, the right thing to say, the right direction to take? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are pleased when your children are open and honest and authentic and vulnerable to you. None of us deserve your grace, yet all of us can have it when we turn from our sin to trust you. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here who openly called on you, who sought you, who abandoned their sin in this place and who received your grace. Lord, fill them with the greatness of who you are. Lord, reflect your glory through them. Give, Give them a clear picture of the gospel and lord give them show them the salvation and the power of salvation in their lives that you might be glorified on earth as it is in heaven it's in the name of jesus i pray amen